0: So we're in the middle of chapter 7 and the Alta has explained to us the various grades of klippa, uh, forms of evil. The more severe evil is known as the three entirely unclean klippot, entirely unclean shells, husks and that is all evil and it's a more severe evil. The fourth grade of clipper, clipper snogger, that we learned about in chapter 7, the clipper that has light, the luminescent shell, because the spark of God is visible, not completely buried in it. It's the little bit of good that's in that clipper, whereas the other clipper has no good in it at all. The good is completely eclipsed. Hence, it's called the Three Totally Unclean Klippot. Everything in the world that is forbidden by the Torah, all the unkosher food, unkosher relationships, etc., comes from the Three clippers. Uh, it derives its energy from the Three clippers. Whereas, everything which is kosher, permitted, then by default it comes from the lesser of the evils, the fourth clipper, the fourth shell, the shell that has light in it, where the spark of God is visible, has a little bit of good, even though it's predominantly bad, it has some good. Uh, and that's clipper Noga. And as we said, because in this world, even the clipper Noga is predominantly bad, as opposed to into the higher worlds, Yitzira, Bria, where Klippa also exists, Klippa Noga, but the ratio of good to evil is fundamentally different. Here it's 99% bad, 1% good, which is the spark of God. So that's why most of this world is bad. Period. Okay, so now we're going to learn that the Klippa Snoga is like a middle ground. It's kind of like a neutral ground. We have up above, we have the realm of holiness, Kedusha, that which is holy. Um, a parathfilin is holy, Sevatorah is holy, a synagogue is holy, prayer is holy, any mitzvah is holy, God is holy. That's the realm of holiness, Kedusha. Now, Some things are already holy, they were used for holiness, they were elevated, Uh, anything in the synagogue, any mitzvah, any ritual act, something consecrated, dedicated to God is holy. Now on the opposite and on the bottom, kind of below our world, you have the three unclean clippers, which is much of our world. Everything prohibited by the Torah, all prohibited relationships, prohibited foods, the souls of the nations which are not righteous Gentiles, the rest of humanity which is not the righteous Gentiles, their animal soul derives from the three clippers. Okay, so you've got the three clippers on the bottom, holiness up top, In the middle, the middle ground is Clippers Niger. It's kind of the neutral territory. It's Clipper, but not as bad as the three Clippers, and it has some good in it. And therefore, because it has good, if you access the good, if you extract the good from the evil, you can elevate the Clipper, and it becomes, it descends. And it's absorbed into Kedusha, into the realm of the holy. It becomes holy. If you do it for the wrong, if you get involved with Klippa Tsunayga and you commit a sin with it, or you use Klippa Tsunayga not for the sake of heaven, you can degrade it. And so the Klippa Tsunayga can descend below its level to the three totally unclean clippers so it can go either way because it's the middle ground it's like an intermediary step between the two it can go up it can go down what does it depend on depends on you on your actions and very much your kavana, your mental state your intentions the purpose behind which is underlying whatever it is that you're doing right so if you're motivated by a higher purpose a holy purpose you're doing for the sake of heaven you're doing it to serve god you thereby elevate the Klippus niger or that object That originates in Kliposnaga and it now ascends, it's no longer in the middle, it's now in the upper, upper level. It's gone up into Kedusha into holiness. Okay? And if you do it for the wrong reasons, and there can be degrees there, but if you do actually do it for purely for the body, Then it becomes unholy. You degrade <clears throat> whatever the object, the item was, the food, or whatever it was that you are engaged in that came from Klippus naga, which is not so bad. And you, de- you degraded it. It now descends and is absorbed in the three Klippus. But as we will learn shortly, that descent can be temporary. It doesn't have to be permanent. And the reason for that is because, since the item, the food or the act was essentially kosher, it can come back and be elevated. It's got good in it. If God forbid, it was something prohibited by the Torah, non-kosher food, then when you do, when you when you when you eat that, you engage in that. That descends into the three, totally into the realm of evil permanently you can't pull that out with two exceptions that we'll learn at the very end of the chapter but generally, otherwise by default that's a permanent the damage is permanent whereas if you misuse Klippas you abuse Klippas you're not doing it as the Rambam says for the sake of heaven to serve God you're eating, exercising, or engage in any mundane physical activity, but solely for the body, for bodily needs, not for a higher purpose, not for the sake of heaven, not L'shem Shemaim, not to serve God, then you temporarily degrade the energy into the three totally unclean clippers. But as I said, it's temporary because intrinsically essentially the energy is kosher and therefore it can go back up how do you get it back up how do you restore it to holiness how do you redeem the energy we'll learn in them, so that's where we're at the middle ground the Klippis is an intermediary category because it's right in the middle between the three completely unclean clippers and the category and order of holiness so again up above is kedusha, that which is entirely completely holy and then down below that which is utterly completely evil it's outside the realm of holiness it's, ex- it's extraneous that's why we call it it's the other side and then you got the middle ground it's neither holy nor completely unholy it is a little bit unholy because it's clipper but it's not completely unholy because that which is completely unholy three clippers cannot be redeemed it's not redeemable You cannot elevate it. You cannot find sparks in it. The sparks are hidden. You can't find them. You can't access them. The only way you can elevate it is by rejecting it. That's beyond uh, the powers of the ordinary individual to elevate three clippers. And that's why it's forbidden, prohibited, can't be touched, you gotta to avoid it, reject it by all means, because it can only take you down, you cannot take it up. Whereas Klippusniger can be redeemed. It's got some good in it, and the evil itself is not as dark, not as severe, it can be elevated. So the middle category, Klippus Niger, it can ascend, it can descend, and we hold the controls. We decide, by our actions, by our intentions, the direction where kliposniger will go. This explains the Alter ever. It can go both ways. Hence, it is sometimes absorbed within the three unclean klipot, meaning sometimes it descends it's degraded and sometimes it is absorbed and elevated to the level of holiness so sometimes it becomes holy sometimes it becomes completely unholy what does it depend on on you there is a concept that we looked at last week in depth and it was also the feature an idea featured in the class on the weekly Torah portion, Matis Mase, as we explain that the aspirations of the tribe of Gad and Ruvain, they were, they had their eyes set on the highest sparks. That search for the sparks of God embedded in all created things, uh, and the process by which man finds those sparks, he locates the sparks and then extracts them from the physical object, thus releasing the spiritual energy and potential contained in the physical object, thereby elevating the object and also elevating himself, and the whole world in the process. That is known as birur. Birur means to distill. To extract. When you extract the good from the bad. If I've got a pile of nuts, I crack them open and I got a pile of shells and I separate the nut, the fruit, from the shell From the husk, that's called birur. I'm birur. I'm selecting, which means to select. I'm selecting the good from the bad, which, by the way, is something you may you can do on Shabbos, but you can't take the bad from the good on Shabbos. I can't. So let's say I have a plate and I crack open nuts on Shabbos. I can take the fruit out from between the shells. I cannot select the shells, separate the bad, and then eat the fruit. That is prohibited on Shabbos. That is kind of what we do during the week. We separate the bad from the good. We're separating the shells from the fruit. The clipper, the husk, from the fruit. The fruit is the spark of God. So that we can now release the spark of God, it returns to God, and it triggers a great revelation of light, thus elevating the physical object, elevating our souls, and elevating the whole world. And that's why we're here. We're here for the, this mission of Biru, to separate the clipper, the husk from the, the bad, from the good, the husk from the fruit, the clipper from the spark of God, and to extract the sparks. That's why the Jews went to Egypt. That's what the tribe of Reuben wanted to do in the land across the other side of the Jordan. And that's why Jews in general were exiled from our land and exiled. And for most of our history, we've been wandering foreign lands, lands outside of the, the Holy Land, Because we are in search of the sparks of God embedded outside of the Holy Land in all physical matter. For our job, the job of the Jewish people, is to extract the sparks, to do the avoida, the job of biru. Explains the al as For example, as when the good that is mixed in it is extracted from the bad. Again, giving that example. I got all those fruit peels that I spread on the table, and I got pieces of fruit, and now I'm separating, I'm taking the fruit, I'm extracting the good from the bad. I leave the husks, the shell, the peel behind, and I extract the fruit, the spark of God in the physical object. But I can only do that if it's clippus Niger. Because only in Clippus Niger is the spark of God close to the surface, still visible beneath the shell. In the three completely unclean shells or husks, they are so thick and opaque that you don't see the fruit. The fruit's hidden from sight. You have no you can't get to the fruit the shell is too thick you can't get through it so the spark of god is buried trapped imprisoned you cannot release it this process of bureau only works with the clipper that has some good in it only with the intermediary clipper the middle category of clipper clippers noiga this cannot work at all, with the three clippers. Because there, the shell's too thick, too dark, you can't get to the fruit at all. Okay, so what happens then, when you separate the fruit from the shell, the good from the bad, the spark of God from the clipper, then the spark of God ascends until it is absorbed in holiness and so that whole physical object or the energy of the object that gives that object existence or vitality is now absorbed into Kedusha. So for example, a piece of leather from a cow is by default Klippis Neugah. It's not holy; it's unholy. But if I take that parchment and I process it and I split it and I prepare it as halacha requires me, you got to process it with uh, flour, with 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 salt, and you got to work the hide, and then you split the hide, and there's all the different. There's the bun, the front, the back, the inside, the outside, where the skin was, where the hair was. And then you turn that into a parchment and you prepare it according to Jewish law and use the special ink and you can prepare a mezuzah, a pair of tefillin, or even a sefetira. And once that's done halachically correctly, that piece of leather... That animal hide is now no longer just an animal hide. It's, actu- it's actually a sacred object. It becomes a holy thing. Before it was an unholy thing. It had no holiness in it. It had a spark of God. But, but you know, buried within. But by you using it for holiness, you now... Elevate the entire object. Now this piece of leather is a pair of tefillin. It's a holy object. You have to treat it with great respect. You kiss it, you put it in a special container. The mezuzah is holy. It goes on the door, you make your blessing, you kiss it, right? Saifatara, supreme level of holiness. So you've transformed a physical object that was unholy, it was Klippa, and you now elevated, it ascended to the realm of holiness, and it became completely holy. Now, just as you do that with a physical object, you could do that with the energy of food. So long as the food is Klippisnaiga. Unholy, but not completely unholy. In other words, it's kosher. The definition of kosher is, that it's permitted to be eaten it's unholy by default because it's physical but it's not completely unholy so it can be redeemed it can be elevated so if you eat a kosher steak you know a nice thick ribeye steak and you eat it not simply because you're hungry and not simply because you're in the mood For a good juicy steak not simply for the for the body and just for appetite but rather because you 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 want to be healthy and strong so you have the strength to serve god so that elevates the energy in the steak so you separate the clipper in the steak from the good which is the spark of god Releasing the spark of God and the energy, and the whole steak is now elevated into Kedusha, into holiness. Now, during the weekdays, this has to be done proactively, consciously, deliberately. Otherwise, by default, it remains clipper. Now, if you eat it without any intention, you eat it just because you're hungry, not not, let's use the word lustfully, okay? Not for the pleasure of a steak. You just you're hungry. Yeah, you know you're hungry. That's all you had in the freezer. You took out a steak. You made a steak. You weren't particularly had a craving for a steak. You were just hungry. You're eating it just just to satisfy the needs of the body. Well, that won't change the status of the clipper. It will remain Klippis Because you did not elevate it through your kavana. You did not, as the Rambam says, remember we studied a few weeks ago, you didn't do it for the sake of heaven. wasn't L'Shem Shemayim. So you're not elevating it. So it just remains Klippis unchanged. That's if you eat it just without any specific intent, randomly, right, unintentionally, obliviously. You just took out something from the fridge, whatever was there, you ate it. Not because you were craving for something, you're hungry. And that's a bodily need. But since it's just a bodily need, it's not for the soul, as Raimondi said, then it's not for the sake of heaven, It's not for the service of God. It doesn't go up. It stays exactly where it was. No change. Status quo. Right? If you eat it to serve God for the sake of heaven, up it goes. If you eat it just because I'm hungry, it stays where it is. Now, if one eats it for the wrong reason, I'm just craving a steak, just for the pleasure of meat, then that goes in a different direction. We'll come to that in a moment. Okay, so for example, here's an example of how it goes up. He who eats a good steak and drinks some good wine, you went into the winery, you had a great steak, have some good wine, but you're doing it in order... To broaden one's mind for the service of God. You know, you got to give a big class. And you want to be healthy, not hungry. And as it says, that good meat and good wine can broaden the mind's perspective. When you've eaten well, you can concentrate. And there were sages who would eat a good piece of meat or drink some wine so they could give a good lecture. So then you're elevating the eating, the good steak, the good wine. It's all the Shem Shemayim for the sake of heaven. You're turning it into a mitzvah. You're transforming and thereby elevating it for the service of God and His Torah. And therefore, the energy in that steak, in that wine, or whatever it is that you ate, is elevated and absorbed into holiness. Now, during the weekday, you have to make a special effort to do this, to separate the bad from the good, the clipper from the spark. On Shabbos, this is automatic. Because during the week, the default state of the physical, everything is clipper. Shabbos, the world is elevated. The whole world goes up automatically. Everything enters into the realm of holiness. Of course, if you keep Shabbos. If you keep Shabbos, that's why you call it Shabbos Kodesh, the holy day of Shabbos. If you observe Shabbat, then your world, including you, are elevated, you go up a level. You go up to the level of kedusha. You're no longer in the middle ground. During the week, you're in the middle ground. You're on the middle floor. On Shabbos, you take an elevator. You're now on the top floor. Every meal that you eat is automatically already in the realm of holiness, because Shabbos food is a mitzvah. So the Shabbos food is automatically, by default, already holy. It's kodesh. Now you can get subtle about whether or not you can degrade Shabbos food or not. Uh, That's beyond the today. But generally speaking, you don't have to specially think about the Shabbos food. It's automatically, by default, holy. And that's why separating good from bad is prohibitive on Shabbos. There is a law that I mentioned earlier. One of the 39 prohibited creative activities that one cannot do on Shabbat is called boirer selecting. It was done in the temple without getting into all the intricacies. But essentially, like I said, let's say you take out a bag of peanuts. you Crack up with all the peanuts. It's all on the table. You got the peanuts, the fruit and all the shells all mixed together on the table so on Shabbos you'll take the fruit the good from the bad but not the bad from the good we are not permitted on Shabbos to select bad from good as the Talmud says Asu selection of bad from good is prohibited in Shabbos the Kabbalists explain why that is because the bad is already separated on Shabbos, from the good. By default, because the world ascends to a higher level into the realm of holiness. And that's why there is no selecting bad from good, separating bad from good on Shabbos. Whereas during the week, that's our whole job. Because everything is mixed, as we learned last week, in the physical world. As a result of what Adam did, he mixed, when he ate from the tree, he caused everything in the physical to be intermingled, mixed, bad and good. Mostly bad, a little good. So most of our world is clipper with a little good mixed in. That mixture of good and evil was one of the fallouts, the collateral damage of the original sin somebody there. Okay. And so during the week, since you got this confusion, mixture of good and evil, clipper and sparks, you got to separate the clipper, the husk, the shell from the fruit, from the spark. But not on Shabbos. On Shabbos, that activity is prohibited because it's unnecessary. Because spiritually, the holiness of Shabbos automatically, by default, separates the clipper from the sparks. And on Shabbos, food is automatically holy. It's already a mitzvah. Just like, for example, during the week, if you are invited to a bris, and there's a suda, a meal associated with a bris, that meal is a mitzvah. So the food that you eat at a bris is automatically holy. It's already elevated. It's already been entered into the realm of holiness by default, by the fact that it's a bris. Even without your intent. So whatever you eat at a bris is automatically holy. Because the whole meal was transformed by the mitzvah of the bris. If you... Participate in a siyum, when a rabbi or a scholar concludes a tractate of the Talmud, and it's traditional to make a feast, to have a meal, you know, you wash. When you participate in a meal associated with the conclusion of a tractate of the Talmud, that entire mitzvah is by meal is by default holy. Because the meal is a mitzvah. It's what we call a sudat mitzvah. A meal which is a religious obligation. Therefore automatically, even without any intention, by default, any food that you eat at a sudat mitzvah, at a meal which is a mitzvah, like a bris, a wedding, a bar mitzvah, a siyum, is automatically holy, it's like Shabbos. You don't have to elevate it, it's elevated already. But anything that it's a non-mitzvah meal... ...that uh, starts being unholy and then uh, it's turned into something holy. Correct. What happens to that holy parchment when uh, a letter cracks? It becomes unholy or unkosher? Sure. It be- that's a good question um if it cannot be fixed uh then it does it would lose its it would in effect lose its holiness now because it was used for holiness so first of all the energy that was in that parchment is already elevated But that actual specific parchment now would lose its sanctity for now if it cannot be fixed. If it was repairable and was repaired, the holiness would be restored. If not, it couldn't, then then the holiness would, would necessarily depart. However, since it was used for something holy, and perhaps a residue of holiness remains. Therefore, it has to be treated with respect, has to be buried. And depending on the degree of holiness, is it a mezuzah, is it a tefillin, is it a sefetira, is it a cover of a terror is it an ark, will depend on how you must dispose of it. Whether you have to bury it, whether you have to just put it away, etc. Et is that the same thing as a shawl? Once it's holy, it's always holy? Correct. As, as we learn in the Mishnah, that even if you a synagogue is destroyed, even the ruins of a synagogue is still holy. The Shechinah still is there. What if it's sold? Ah, if it's sold, then the holiness can be transferred. As Maimonides taught us just a couple of days ago, actually. In the daily study of Maimonides, he said that a community, community can sell a synagogue, and when they do that, then the holiness attached to the building is no longer associated with the building. So it's also part of its function, like, uh, like, the, parchment, like the parchment. Yes, so now the holiness is no longer attached to the building. And again, you know, there are different degrees of holiness. There's a mezuzah, tefillin is holier, the Torah is even more holy, so there'll be different degrees of holiness. You know, there's a synagogue, there's um, the cover of the Torah, you know, the crowns of the Torah, the, 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 the wooden poles of the Torah. So there are different degrees of holiness. And and you look up in the Code of Jewish Law and it discusses all these things. How these things should be put away, disposed of, buried, depending on the degree of holiness of the original item. Yeah, but a Torah that is uh, has been, is, is completely invalid. Completely. Can no longer be fixed. Would lose its holiness. Right? So even if one word is found, a word, a letter, is found to be missing and it can't be repaired, say the letters are too close and it can't be repaired, yet then the Torah would lose its holiness. It would have to be, you know, put away, buried, etc., etc. Well, I have a question about the uh, three clippers. Uh, sure. With the three foot are they are they levels two, one, two, three, or they're all the same? They're they're on the same level. Yes, they're on the same level, but they're just expressed one in chesed, one in Gvura, just in different areas. But they're all on the same level. No, is there all? They affect different areas. Yeah, but they're all equally evil. There's no higher or lower. So the opposite of kindness, the opposite of gavurah, the opposite of Yeah. Tibera, so you stuff. can have, for example, you can have three clippers in love. When a Jew, you know, when, when, if a Jew commits adultery, God forbid. That's an act of love, right? But it's three clippers. So that's chesed of the three clippers. So for example, the Kabbalah says that the Philistines represented chesed of the three clippers. The opposite of Abraham. That's why the Philistine king clashed with Abraham. Abraham was loving kindness of holiness. He spread belief in one God through acts of loving kindness. And they they did other acts of, you know, uh, love, but not holy. So you can have the same thing in, in every emotional area. You can have clipper. So you can have a person in the holiness realm of holiness. You have a person who's very self-disciplined. He, he, spiritually intense like Isaac. Like Shammai. And you can have somebody who in the realm of unholiness, he's plain mean. You know? He's Gvura. He goes around killing people. He's aggressive. He's violent. That's gvura in the realm of complete clipper. So every meter, every attribute can exist in the realm of the holy or it can be expressed in the realm of the unholy. So the three unclean clippers are just different areas, different flavors, if you will. Different flavors of the same non kosher wine. But they're all equally unkosher, kosher and they're all the same alcohol strength. No difference. Clipper one, two, and three, they're all the same level of clipper. Clear? Yes, Rabbi. It's great. Any more any last Final questions? Last chance. So, just uh, so basically as we said, just the final... I have a comment. Sure. It's only a rumor, I've only heard it, <laughs> Morris likes to take a drink once in a while. <laughs> but, a, uh, let me add, just, I'll just, I'll just add it. to that, David, not just a drink. <laughs> That's but what several, I, to that. but I, I heard a rumor, David. <laughs> I heard a rumor, David. that He's a holy, a holy drunk. That's, that, that's my right, Boris. A holy, it's a holy shaker. Because I drink plenty David's of non-free. David <laughs> is every day. <laughs> <laughs> he's a holy shaker because David he drinks before he davens, during davening, and after yeah. davening, just, just to be honest, just to be, well, f- it's, to it's, fulfill it's, all, it's all the opinions. Blood. It's wine before davening, then I have a spirit during davening, but then I have a liqueur at the end, like the finished dinner. <laughs> Perfect. So, remind me of a story, and we'll conclude with that. That, you know, Hasidim, often after um, the morning service, the chakras, in the synagogue, they take out a little schnapps. In, the, in a Hasidic synagogue, they make a little chaim. You know, maybe serve a little kichel and herring. And l'chaim was very popular. In the Lithuanian Litvak synagogues, after they finished the morning service, they would study Talmud. In particular, Mishnah, Mishnayis. The summary of the Talmud. So one time, a chassid and a misnagid, an opponent of the Hasidic movement, a Litvak, a Lithuanian scholar, were discussing the different customs. And of course, the Lithuanian was trying to jab the Hasid, because the Lithuanians tried to defame the Hasidim as being non-learned. You know, they like to drink, but not to learn. And he said, you see, after davening, we sit down, we open up a mishnah, we study Mishnais. You guys, what do you do after you finish davening? You take out a schnapps, see make a l'chaim? So the chassid was a bright, he was a learned man, and he was witty, and he responded in a very witty fashion without batting an eye. He said... Let me explain to you the difference of the custom. You know, when somebody passes away, God forbid, or on a yard site, the anniversary of passing, what do we study? Mishnah. Because Mishnah spells Nishama. So we study Mishnahis. After a death, you study Mishnais. The way you litvaks pray, <laughs> your prayers are dead. Dead on arrival. No heart, no soul, no passion. So when you're finished praying, the only appropriate thing to do is to learn Mishna'is, like on a yard <laughs> Whereas when we, Hasidim, pray, we're alive. What do you do when you're alive? You make a lechayim. That's why we say we drink schnapps after the chakras. And that's how the Hasid answered the litvak. So on that note guys, L'chaim.